The Spin-Off Podcast Network. Ready to rediscover the joys of cycling? With over 300 kilometres of cycle paths across Tamaki Makoto, jumping on your bike and going for a ride is such a fun way to discover the city from a different perspective. Cycling is getting more and more popular across Auckland, so now's a great time to join the hype and give cycling a go. Head to at.govt forward slash cycling to find your nearest cycleway today. Are you making the most of your KiwiSaver investment? Generate is an award-winning KiwiSaver provider with a track record of strong long-term performance. Making a smart decision now could add tens of thousands of dollars by the time you reach retirement. Book a no-obligation chat with a Generate KiwiSaver advisor today at generatekiwisaver.co.nz slash advice. A copy of the product disclosure statement is available at generatekiwisaver.co.nz. The issuer of the scheme is Generate Investment Management Limited and, of course, past performance does not guarantee future returns. Okay, sorry, just, just edit me out here. Oh I'm just like, <laughs> but seriously, no, continue, yeah. And cut. No, my hiding my picking my khaki my. This is Toby Manhire over opposite me. You can't see him, but I can. It's Ben Thomas, and to his right and my left, Annabelle Lee <laughs> Mather. Um, I'm painting a picture here. Across the other corner of the studio is Samuel. Kia ora. How is everybody today? Hi, Anna. E ora, Anna. Feel, feel on the heat. Mm. It's been a gorgeous well, Auckland summer. Well, you look summer. hot there's a, in there's, that yellow T-shirt. It's the, it's, the dying, it's the dying days of summer and it's the, and it, and it's, it's the heat from the Wellington, from the, the great briefing paper fire of Wellington 2023. Oh, wow. You can see why he is in such hot demand. As a pundit, can't you? You can, yeah. Just that. See how the magic happens there. He didn't have that written down. He just conjured it out of thin air. I, I left my piece of paper in the car. So, <laughs> um, on the agenda today, the great policy fire that Ben just made mention of, uh, and the work of New Zealand's Marie Kondo Prime Minister. Uh, what it all means for the Greens. Nationals attempts to grab back some momentum and a new poll. What do we call this whole, this, the reprioritisation is, I think, the official term. So there's a broad, you know, broad lexicon. There's the bonfire, which, um, of course, evokes 15th century Florence and Tom Wolfe and Wall Street. There's the cull, which brings to mind foot and mouth ridden livestock. <laughs> there's the purge, which obviously has notes of... Joseph Stalin, what do you what do you like, Annabelle? I like Te Ahi Kormo, oh. which means the volcanic fire. Mm, powerful. Might hear that for Tranch like Three, <laughs> Mr. Hipkins. Ben. Uh the I got the uh, the bread and butter kitchen cabinet fire. Oh. Uh the scorched earth policy. Uh, the Greens can use that if they want. Right. Uh the scorched policy earth. <laughs> the uh Onward, Chris Hipkins, smolder. <laughs> nice. Burn, baby, burn, fiscal inferno. Oh, my God, I love that. Policies That's... like Hipkins from the hut because they're getting blazed. Oh, wait, oh, no. definitely from the hut because the PM just smoked the greens. Oh. <laughs> so good. <laughs> Uh, how long have we got? i got a few more. <laughs> I think we're going to have to wrap it up now, actually. Um, it's, a lot of stuff has been axed or deferred, i.e. kicked past the next term, may or may not happen, or shrunk rapidly. I've got a list of my own here. If you already know all the things, then you can skip forward by 30 seconds or three minutes or however long it's going to take me to quickly list them. In the first round of the purge, we had the media merger, biofuel mandates, hate speech legislation, unemployment insurance, and then on Monday this week, we had the cash for clunkers policy, the upgrade scheme, which was the sort of headline policy in the release of the emissions reduction plan, um, um, 
six months ago or so, sometime last year, as was the social car leasing scheme, also gone. Also gone, or at least deferred, are the alcohol advertising reforms, where Chloe Swarbrick has a member's bill, which she'll try and reignite and get some uh, support for. Container refund scheme, gone. Contractor employment status reforms, gone. Voting age stuff, mostly gone. Local government stuff might reply. The speed limit restriction program has been refocused to the 1% most uh, dangerous roads, public transport initiatives shrunk and light rail has been slowed down, which is a relief because it was hurtling so (laughs) fast... That project, <laughs> we all had speed wobbles, didn't yeah, we? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> After five and a half years of business cases and PowerPoint presentations, the government thought it was time to just slow, slow down and down. catch our breath. We all just have a cup of tea. <laughs> yeah. So the they, what did they do? They did they did a sod turning. They, well, I think at the they, beginning of the they, year they to did show a kind of terrain exploration. They plunged a pole into the ground. They plunged a pole into the ground. Was, I don't think they've got so far. And as now everyone turning. needs a rest. <laughs> everyone just needs We're to, just gonna stage this out. <laughs> Rome wasn't built in a day. The overall it's this kind of ever decreasing uh circles of government policy, of the work programme, both parties in a battle to be uh, littler than the other. I was, I've was i got a theory about all this, which I'd like to try out on you. Have you noticed that a number of politicians seem to have been hit by lightning uh, before? What is that about? So we've had Maureen Pugh has been hit by lightning several hundred times. <laughs> Aisha Varel... Uh, said last week, I think, on uh, the on the Tiles podcast that she'd been struck by lightning. So was she hit by lightning or was she in a plane that was struck by lightning? I can't tell you that. But I do know that the advice when you're in an environment where lightning might be around is to make yourself as small as possible. And so I think that <laughs> uh, what I'm thinking is the New Zealand's parliament has become so focused on being tiny to avoid being hit by lightning, that that has filtered through to the politics, policy, the work programme. Chris Hipkins probably, like, saw a reference to conductors on the light rail proposal and was like, get it out of here. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Did you see Joe Moyer's column this week? Quite a good one, in which she came out of that Monday post-Cabinet press conference in which the latest uh, tranche of... uh, X policies was announced and she's just sort of she's asking questions in the press conference trying to find out what Chris Hipkins was actually standing for rather than standing against and in her column she uh, referred to Bill English's answer in a in an election debate in uh, 2017 when asked what he would march in the streets for and he said I would march in the streets to govern New Zealand <laughs> 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 and Chris Hipkins Indicated that what he was all about was, you know, a, a range of things over the next three years in government. It is this sort of sense, Joe described it as, you know, cynical politics that it's most depressing or something like that. And there is something a bit depressing if that everything is totally about being re-elected. If that's, you know, politics being the art of winning. D- Daniel McLaughlin had a great line um, <clears throat> many years ago where he said that the sort of scales fell from his eyes one day when he realised that the main thing that, you know, the opposition leader um, opposed about the government was its policy of having a different prime minister. And, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, and you can you can see this clearly. Now, I mean, there are ways to be sort of less cynical about it. You could say Hipkins has realised that whatever changes the government wants to get through, anything that they put through during this election year is very much at risk Mm. if they lose the election. Um, You know, National's policy platform has has long been to, you know, get rid of Jacinda Ardern's policies. Um, And so this is just Labour matching that. So from that point of view, you know, winning is the first and necessary step to doing any of the kind of positive things that you want to do. Um, 
And you see a, a bit of that in the sense that Hipkins hasn't killed a lot of these policies. Some of them he's merely deferred. Mm. And even some of the things that he's killed, you could sort of say, well, maybe they'll be back in a different form. Maybe. Um, it, 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 but, yeah, the, you know, what, what we are seeing right now is this really interesting agglomeration where both of the major parties are relatively weak in electoral terms, you know, sort of in the low early mid-30s, um, but the combined suite of policies that they represent is supported by about 70% of the population, <laughs> and, and and it's almost like an internal leadership tussle to see who gets to be the Prime Minister presiding over those policies. And, I mean, arguably this is the nature of MMP politics, I guess, Annabelle, you know, uh, the these two these two radically centrist parties, you know, going for that that medium voter, going for the middle bit, and then the the more uh, I, I, the the sort of stronger policy platforms will come from their their putative coalition partners, because we know very clearly that we have a kind of, in a way, a, a prototypical. MMP election, mm. where we're looking at, you know, we'll come to that a bit later about how the, the Māori Party might fit I'm not in. sure if the Greens will be feeling that way this week after everything that, right. that, that got um, well, chucked in the kitchen cabinet fire. I mean, I, I, I agree with, with Joe. I can, you know, and I think many will that, you know, it, it, it does look cynical, but equally... You know, I think Luxon is trying to shed the skin of Ardern's government that on one hand was thought of as overly ambitious and equally thought of as not being able to achieve anything or get the, the, the basics right to mm. deliver. And so I don't think he has much choice. I think it's quite a pragmatic move to get rid of some of these policies. And I think, you know, most of them aren't ones that we're going to if you'll excuse the pun, set the world on fire. But, you know, Chloe Swarbrick, for example, with the with the alcohol advertising one, you have to wonder why he got rid of that one. Uh, you know, it's... Well, it's all about distractions. I think when you said Luxon before, you meant Hipkins. But oh, sorry, it's an Hipkins. easy mistake to make lately, I, I suppose. Apologies. Yeah, and, and so Apologies. with the alcohol bill, you know, <clears throat> where does that hit the road? Probably with, you know... With, with sports organisations who would be talking about how they needed, you know, time to transition to a, to new sponsorship arrangements, things like that, um, who would be asking for government money. And, and those are the sorts of fights that Hipkins doesn't want to get involved in. What they're And that's the, that's the bandwidth uh, shorthand, isn't it? So we're sort of, whenever the question is, well, hang on a minute, this isn't really about saving money, is it? Um, this isn't about tightening belt to deal with, tightening belts to deal with a cost of living crisis. And then it's like, oh, it's also about bandwidth, which means it's a distraction. It could create us some problems along the way. We don't want to get stuck on that stuff. Yeah, that's right. And so, you know, if, if Hipkins does stand for anything this early on in his sort of leadership, it's, as Luke Melpis and stuff said yesterday, you know, it's about, uh, you know, making concrete improvements to people's standard of living. Now, fortuitously, that also coincides with the same kind of policies that you would need to bribe members of the electorate in an election year, which is to say, um, you know, all of the all of the major moves by uh, Labour under Hipkins have been about um, cash transfers. So the yesterday there was the announcement that. Uh, less than one year after taking the Welfare Expert Advisory Group's recommendation to uh, index uh, benefits mm. to the rate of wage increases rather than inflation, they're swapping that back around because inflation is higher this for, year. For, for one year. Yeah. 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 And uh, superannuation, never any change with that, but they're just, they're just going to... They're going to give it to top up the old guys, top up the old people, <laughs> including the 30,000 who are leaning over 100 grand, even outside their superannuation this year. Because, oh, yeah, just, you know. um, and, and the other thing is, you know, the minimum wage increases, whereas National, you know, which we'll talk about later, has have come in with, you know, their um, uh, early childhood subsidies. And so w- w- what it's looking like is a kind of game of Tetris 
where both of the major parties are just trying to most optimally fill, you know, that 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 block right up to the fifty point one percentile mm-hmm. with voting groups uh, that they can sort of carve off with cash subsidies. Um, so it's it's almost like a math problem for the two major parties right now. Annabelle's right, though, when you look at the list, particularly the second one, uh, and you had to colour code them in terms of which was the party that either proposed them or was <laughs> championing them, and a lot of the colour would be green, right? And then you add to that the extension of the cut in fuel tax. Um, you add the the um, biofuel thing from the first round. It's... It's a it's a pretty bitter pill for the Greens to swallow. They were the leaders were co leaders were called in for their first meeting with Hipkins, I think, on the morning of the announcement, and pretty well just informed. And you know they were dazzled by his affable boy from the hut, and seemingly didn't kick up too much of a fuss. Is there? There's been some suggestion that actually this kind of plays quite well for the Greens. And Mm. there's some truth in that, Mm. isn't there, Annabelle? And that there is some truth that the Greens have got plenty to shout about now. They can say, and they have been, look, if you want us to have influence, if you want us to make a difference, you need to vote us in bigger numbers and get us around the Cabinet table. At the moment, their votes are immaterial to a a, a one-party majority government that has a cooperation agreement, which is nice, quite short, but very general vibesy rather than anything concrete that you'd see in in a in a confidence and supply agreement, let alone a full blown coalition deal. When we destroy your agenda, we you will be the first to know. <laughs> we are picking the well, phone right. straight up. There is and, uh, and, very manner enhancing. So so so, so 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 the argument goes, and there's there's something in this, and I would argue, but only something really. But th- there is something in it that the strat- the ch- political MMP chess would be. Labour is going to manoeuvre towards that median voter and nibble away votes from the National Party. Meanwhile, the Greens, we're going to leave you territory to nibble into our vote. The overall block, because that's how MMP works, grows. Anything wrong with that? No, but, uh, I mean, with what's happened over the last couple of days, on one hand it is a good thing for the Greens, like it gives them something to rail against, it separates them away from the government in election year, which is always a problem with with minor parties. And I, I kind of feel for the Greens because they've been in that predicament that so many minor parties get into, which is you get offered the opportunity to be in government like the Māori Party were when you're not really needed in government, like super majority kind of thing. And so do you do you hold out and, you know, fire missiles from the cross-party benches or, you know, are you better to work within the government and try and get some, some gains for your party? I think, you know, there's arguments to be made for both sides of that. Um, I think the the problem that the Green Party had is that unlike the Māori Party, who I think had only been in Parliament for a term when they became part of government, mm. is that um, they had been in Parliament so long that if they and it was their first opportunity to become a not a part of government, but to have that kind of arrangement, they kind of didn't have any choice really but to get into it. I feel like Labor hasn't been a very good. Um, partner to them, um, but you know the, I guess the bump that we've seen in the latest lot of polls, you know, just goes to show that people do still care about the environment and mm. climate change. You know, is here. It's not some idea that you know people don't really haven't got their heads around yet. So I do think that there's going to be more space for the Greens out further on the left, especially as we see National and Labor crunching towards the middle. So, I, you know, while a couple of weeks ago it looked like all doom and gloom for the Greens, I actually think that they're probably in not too bad a position going into election year. Certainly the 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 Curia poll for the Taxpayers Union last week, which put the Greens on 5.7% <coughs> reputable poll, if that had been reflected in the Cantar poll for One News this week then I think the conversation about the Greens would be taking a slightly different hue. They got 11% in that poll. But still, Ben, the idea that uh, the Greens are kind of complicit in a in a masquerade 
to create this kind of, um, you know, manoeuvring seems to me at least quite partly fanciful because the Greens are not an, are not one sort of autonomous unit. There are a bunch of different views. Mm. There are a lot of very cross people in that Green caucus. Many don't agree with James Shaw's kind of patient insistence that it's better to be inside the tent than outside the tent. Many would really quite like to be outside the tent and, you know, uh, mounting, mounting concerted pissing attacks on the tent. You know, like, with... More than six months ago towards an election, it seems to me that the idea that this is just going to play out nicely and they will adopt their own territory and so on is is probably a bit optimistic from their point of view. The Greens tend to do well when they are supporting Labour rather than when they're attacking Labour. Um, it's just one of those strange contradictions. Uh, we, when the Greens go hard and call Labour climate sellouts and things like that, it doesn't tend to improve their vote, voting. And that might be a function of the kinds of people who vote Green as opposed to the kinds of people who are Green activists and Green members, um, which is much more suburban, it's much more high income, it's much more middle-aged. Do you think, though, Ben, that's because it, during those times Labour was in opposition? No, it seems it seems to be pretty consistent throughout. Um, you know, they're obvi- obviously their vote tends to improve when Labor are weak as well, um, but their vote doesn't seem to it doesn't seem to improve by them attacking. I guess the, I guess the, the the terrain has changed a bit insofar as the Labor Party, for all that Chris Hipkin says, he agrees with climate change being the you know the nuclear free moment of the generation has. The, the actions of recent days suggest otherwise. Yeah. Oh, look, yeah, clearly that's been signalled. On the other hand, there is something to the argument that the schemes that have been scrapped were very expensive for yep. not, a, not a great return. Yeah. Yep. Um, minuscule reductions yep. in emissions mm. compared to As far as the emissions budget is like, concerned, it could yeah, be much de- more efficiently spent. And, and I guess we need to sort of, you know, uh, wait and see what that amounts to, whether it comes in the budget proper or not. Yeah, but things like, you know, electric cars are something that the green voters love, right? Um, but, it, you know, but, but the actual emissions reductions compared to things like industrial processes, mm. you know, on an individual mm. level are much lower and the costs are much higher. Um, you know, Hipkins says that the, um, you know, the clean car discounts are, are sort of doing their job right now. Um, that's probably helped by um, the cost of second-hand cars. My, my old clunker, which I was hoping the government might bail out to the tune of $500 million or something if there's a global financial crisis, um, which I, I sort of... I'm probably going to have to try and get another couple of hundred thousand Ks out of because, man, second-hand cars are really expensive What are you going to go for in the end? Are you going to get a plug-in hybrid? Uh, I think one of the three catastrophic issues with my car resolved itself, so I'm going mm-hmm. to, I'm going to okay. try and run it into the ground Was further. that when you yeah. removed sort of 300 food wrappers from uh, the No, that, that, that was when the window went up again. It hadn't uh, gone uh, It had been stuck for about a week, yeah. and I was like... You know, so yeah. what was your solution to that? That's How did you? It, eventually, it just worked. It opened. Yeah, yeah eventually, it just worked. The, that's all true. Um, the but then when you look at things like the the, um, the 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 alcohol reforms being dumped, Chloe Swarbrick told me that was a slap in the face to all the people who have been working on it. You know, around the mm. country every year and a half, and review after review had recommended it. Uh, Eugenie Sage. Who's leaving Parliament this year? I thought was one of the most kind of forceful and compelling. She was just really aghast with the um, container refund scheme, right? Which is something which she is, was working which on is as sort environment of minister. Felt like yeah. a footnote in the in the announcement, but she was just, I, to paraphrase, what the actual fuck? You know, the, all that she sort of put it, and all these officials have been working on it. There, there have been a lot of energy in it. Um, you know, within Parliament, within the, the I think MB that were doing the work and. She's clearly just staring at this going, how, what does this have to do with cost of living belt tightening? What does it have yeah. to do with bandwidth? The idea that those officials are suddenly going to shift across to, you know, cost of living payments doesn't really wash. And, and well, the thing too it is seems like, weird. Yeah, it's like they wouldn't have had trouble passing it. So what's the problem? 
The the issue for all of these things is that the Greens are living in in the same way that climate deniers are living in an old world that no longer exists. The Greens are living in an old world that no longer exists, one where policy is based on your values and evidence <laughs> and, and, and you know, your priorities in government, what you think will help. That's gone. That's been gone since Labour pulled up level with National and got a sniff of winning the election. Yeah. That is over now. What we have now is overnight polls... <laughs> focus groups and and media headlines and that is how policy is going to be decided between now and October and anybody who has you know the, the, the greens obviously like will never sort of you know have never and will never register that um and it's you know it's it's hardly an ideal sort of way to create policy but while the polls are tight that's that's what's happening now is that a, is that a good argument Bro, that you like nailed it. Is that a good argument also for a four year term? Maybe we can talk about that another time. But there is a sense in which Mm, if if it's if it's we're all just actually it's fully election in year three every time, then it does you know, you add add a little bit of a pandemic or a financial crisis into the mix. I don't think it is, you know, I don't, but this isn't typical even of election years, right? What, what it's typical of is, you know, Hipkins has come in, he's been Prime Minister for seven weeks, he wants to be Prime Minister for more than 10 months, he wants to have at least three years, um, and he, you know, he doesn't have to go back on his word, he doesn't have to backtrack on anything. New Prime Minister, new reality, we've entered the multiverse, right? <laughs> anything can happen, you know? <laughs> We're we're now in an alternate reality where Jacinda Ardern's policies have all just sort of slipped into the void, um, and it's a new day. Um, so I, I don't know that this is typical of three year terms. You know, there there is always obviously electioneering during election years. That's just normal. But but I think right now it's almost unprecedentedly unanchored. You know, in recent history. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life changing care. We're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Let's go back to Sunday before last. Christopher Luxon in Parnell stood before the party faithful for a speech that had been delayed once and maybe twice, his State of the Nation address in election year. And the challenge was to kind of grab back the initiative. The policy announcement, we hadn't had many policy announcements. Remember the Three Waters thing had sort of come out almost kind of awkwardly the weekend before at the Blue Greens conference and then the whole Rob Campbell saga set off. I think we talked about that a little bit. It just happened when we were in the last podcast. But Christopher Luxon's policy announcement was to do was a childcare rebate. Uh, if you close your eyes, it could have easily been a Labour policy announcement. It wasn't that different in uh, some characteristics to the policy announced at the Labour Party conference in November. And then the other side of the coin, the how do you pay for it? Because, of course, one of the first questions that levelled it with any policy is, is that going to be inflationary? Was a little bit of um, what most people regarded as a pretty clever ploy, which is we're going to pay for it by killing all the consultants, <laughs> by, <laughs> um, by, by, by targeting consultants and uh, in the public sector and public sector contractors. Uh, ben, what did you make of all that? Was the momentum grabbed back? Were the policies sound? And tell us a little bit, as someone who's spent many of your happiest days in Wellington, whether or not there is that flab in the consultant contractor layer to find, what did they say, $400 million, I think? $400 million. Yeah. It's on the policy itself. I don't have young kids. I've never paid for ECE. Uh 
it's it, but it, it is essentially in that universe of simply a cash transfer, uh, which is what I think we will increasingly see as the basis for policies uh, heading towards the election. Basically, just a count up of how much any individual voting group will get from each of the major parties. Now, to that end, it seemed pretty successful. Um, you know, people with families seem to think that's that's pretty helpful. You know, there's questions about whether the sector will absorb a subsidy in the same way that there, there is with any kind of subsidy, you know, increasing accommodation allowances, um, increasing student allowances. Um, and I'm sure there will be some of that. But, you know, overall, it's cash in the hand for young parents. Um, and that's something that has been successful for Labor, um, you know, in, in its time in government. Um, like you said, you know, very clear raid on Labour territory, sort of humanises Luxon, you know, small kids. Um, so, you know, ba- basically it's it's just that exercise of just really narrowing the window, you know, so the, of any daylight between the government and the opposition, um, you know, which was started by Labour, but, you know, national sort of raiding into that territory as well and eventually they're going to meet in the middle and, you know, there will be one set of policies that has wide support and you just have to choose which which leader you want for it, right? Yeah. And uh, in terms of, and, and very clever um, tying it into the consultancy costs, one, because the big challenge that uh, the opposition has um, in an election year is playing by the government's rules you know, the, the government, by dint of being in the government, you know, everything currently is affordable that's on the table. And the challenge for the opposition is how are you going to pay for whatever you want to bring in? Um, you know, because both, both parties are sort of committed to keeping debt as low as possible, no more inflationary borrowing. But the so the question is where do you find the money? And we've seen, you know, you know, Phil Goff, David Cunliffe, Paul Goldsmith, Judith Collins have all been tripped up on that, mm. you know, in opposition. Uh, and for a very simple reason, you've got like the entirety of, you know, the Treasury and the massive resources of government to do your bean counting for you in government. In opposition, you've got a few people huddled over a spreadsheet, right? So by bringing in this new cost saving, consultants, you know, Again, you know, very hard to actually isolate four hundred million dollars worth of the exact consulting and contracting costs that you're mm. going to. Is that fair? Cut. I mean, there's a, it's kind of it's kind of a, a very handy whipping boy, yeah, mm. and very unlikely to see people marching on the streets in defence of the consultant class. But is it fair? I mean, there are a lot of people doing a lot of work, you know, on COVID response, different areas, mm. on introducing well, new IT schemes. These things don't happen without people. To do them, no, for sure. And look, that that real ballooning in consulting costs—you know, consulting costs were going up, and they've consistently gone up under every government, I think. Uh, but they really ballooned out under COVID, um, and that makes sense. Ministry of Health was not an operational agency at all, and it was brought in to do all these operational things. So what you had was sort of legions of kind of consultants. It wasn't particularly effective, right, because what you had was bureaucrats in meetings deferring to these sort of expert mm. consultants who don't know anything about running a pandemic response or the health system. <laughs> They're just sort of suits and ties in a meeting, right? So, the, and, and look, there are horror stories, you know, from my time working in government, from my time contracting in government, uh, from, you know, there, there are enough horror stories out there that I don't think it will be hard, you know, if this is, if this is challenged in any meaningful way. It won't be hard for National to bring out examples um, because there, there really is this, you know, I, th- I think the big area of concern is actually the growth of those those big four consultancies um, and, yeah. and even basic policy functions being delegated out to people on, you know, on, on, on massive hourly fees. Sort of, yeah, I mean, the, the RNT stuff was a good example of that, I think, in terms of understanding, you know, people being paid $900 a day or whatever it was. $9,000 a week? I can't remember. Yeah, nine, $900 a day was just the establishment. Yeah. Which anyway, the, the, yeah. and it didn't hurt, did it, um, that that uh, Christopher Lux and Nicola was were able to point to the former minister responsible for the public services, Chris Hipkins, and his determination mm-hmm. to, to cut this stuff. I think maybe what they'll do is they'll... Um, Simeon Brown will call every single public service contractor to his office 
and grill them individually <laughs> and then make a call. What do you make of it all, Annabelle? Well, I think like the first two groups that usually get shot in an election year are Māori and bureaucrats. So I think, you know, in that regard, there wasn't anything that surprising in Luxon's speech. Obviously, the the um, the ECE stuff is a play for the for the middle ground and, you know, not a bad one. My, I, I think that um, the article that Shane Tepo wrote the other week for the Herald on this is really interesting and well worth the read, which is about, you know, if if you really want, if we really care about ECE, and we should because everything shows that, you know, kids who are involved in early child care, um, you know, fare much better in the education and all of that, sort of stuff, but mm. the it's been sort of taken over by some some big corporates that are making a lot of money and not necessarily, um, you know, very wholesome in their business practices. Their staff are low paid. They, you know, tend to understaff um, their services um, they tend to take people who are less qualified so that they can keep pay rates down. So if we're just going to move a whole lot of public money into that space, wouldn't we better off? If we really care about early child care, wouldn't we make it a part of our public education system? Mm. And I think there's a really strong argument. So it would have been great to see a policy that addresses those sorts of issues. My other concern is when we start talking about tax rebates, you know, that requires some interaction with IRD. And, you know, in my experience, when people have to, like, get online or get on phones or apply for stuff and fiddle around with paperwork and applications, they tend not to go through with it if you're a family that doesn't have a lot of resource. So quite often they end up missing out on those types of schemes. And it's people, you know, the middle class who are, who have the accountants, who have the ability to jump online and fill out complex forms and upload PDFs and that, that tend to be the ones who benefit most from it. So some concerns around that. Just coming back to the consultants and stuff, like it's really become the tikanga in Wellington that everything, like almost like the decision-making is now outsourced to these consultants and people like to have something to... I guess, point at when when they're getting asked hard questions about policies or whatever, they like to be able to say, look, this is what KPMG says or this is what, um, you know, Deloitte say or whatever. So I think there probably has been an overuse of, of consultants in Wellington. Um, you know, if you were to make gliding on today, it would probably look a lot sexier. You'd have way better sets and stuff. <laughs> Um, so there, you know, there's there's probably definitely some some savings to be made here, but we've had a lot of policies and issues in the country that have required some expertise, and you know that we simply don't have in in our in the bureaucracy. And so, you know, while it's easy to take a shot at them, you know, bureaucrats are part of the machinery of government and if you want to get stuff done you've got to have them and they're freaked out by media and opposition politicians and they want to cover their asses and be able to point to a very expensive piece of paper and say look we've crunched all the numbers and here it is so if Christopher Luxon had a pretty good week last week he's had a less good week this week he um, first caught a bad poll not a bad poll, a, 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 a badish poll, and then he caught COVID, which meant he's not been able to appear in Parliament or do his interviews. The the poll, should we talk about that a little? This was the Kantar poll for One News, which had Labour down two on 36, National down three on 34, Act on 11 up one, Greens on 11 up four, Te Party Māori on three up just over one, Zealand first on three, up nearly one percent, and in the preferred prime minister category, Chris Hipkins was up four to twenty-seven percent. Although, 
I noticed looking into the Chindra Jain has gone down too as well. So I'm assuming that most of them <laughs> accepted <laughs> that she wasn't returning and have now <laughs> moved to Chris Hipkins. Christopher Luxon, though, down 5 to 17, which is not going to make very happy viewing for him. We know, Ben, that it's been deprivation of oxygen in the first part of the year for various reasons, including the change in leadership, including the cyclone. But nevertheless, while it might be premature to say there's going to be talk of coups and all that again, he's not going to be happy. Yeah, all all the indicators in across the polls are going the wrong way for Luxon, um, which is you know, which is a challenge for him, right? Um, his his PPM uh, score seems to be going down. His favorability is sort of staying low. Um, this this is a problem for him and for National. Um, you know, he's sort of busted out, you know, one of about sort of three lines that you can use in this situation saying um, the people of New Zealand have got to get to know me. I mean, it's been about 15 months or so, for 14 months. Um, at this stage, you know, you, you what did Shane Reti say? You know, I, the public of New Zealand don't know him like I do. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I'm not sure what the hidden depths are because, you know, in his State of the Nation, he said, you know, I want to tell you a bit more about myself. And then he just did three paragraphs about I'm yeah. ambitious for New Zealand. Actually, I want rising standards. Nicola Willis was, 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 quite, was very good in sort of talking about him. I mean, the difficulty is that, of course, that's not the bit that gets onto the news. But, but I don't know. How do you do that? How do you do – is there actually talking about – you remember when Simon Bridges produced a video of him playing the drums and you do all these sorts of things and, you know, people like you, Ben, are contracted in, the good consultants, that is, the golden ones, and say, produce a video playing the drum. I mean, you know, the only time Simon Bridges really uh, managed to – radiate likability was with the yaks after he'd finished, basically, after he was done. How do you do it? Like, it's all very well to say it. It's all very well to say we need to introduce the real leader to the people. How? Well, I think that's the thing. You know, imagine being at a party and thinking to yourself, okay, that person over there just needs to get to know me. You know how do you how do you go about that? Yeah. You know, you sort of without without absolutely creeping them out. Yeah, right? and 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 it's it honestly is the same for politicians. You know, you have some characters who are just sort of larger than life. You know, people like Jacinda Ardern who sort of you know just kind of radiate mm. their personality, mm. and you you just you know know as soon mm. as you see them what kind of person they are, right? Um, Luxon, you know, is is a you know he is a bit more sort of from the fact you know he's either from central casting or he's from the factory, you know, of 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 national leaders, um, and so it is harder for him to differentiate himself. On the other hand, you know, that's not necessarily crucial to winning the election. People don't have to love him. You know, Hipkins is on a high right now, absolutely. He's had, uh, you know, he's he's new, he's he's fresh, um, he's adopted the popular position of abandoning all of Jacinda Ardern's policies. He he, he, he has had, you know, perversely the, the tailwind of some natural disasters where you do get to show your leadership qualities. He's dealt with that well. You know, he's had a really good first seven weeks in the job. On the other hand, food price inflation came out on uh, Monday. You know, it's 12% for the year. Fresh fruit and vegetables are up 23%. Um, you know, rich rich PR consultants like me are struggling to buy a second-hand car. The, <laughs> the you know, the, the cost of living issue hasn't gone away. Mm. People believe Hipkins when he said, you know, you can tell from those ratings in the polls and Labor going up, people believe Hipkins that he's going to try and help them out on cost of living. There's still seven months till the election to see whether he does that. So, you know... You can't forget the environmental factors. But the, the electorate didn't turn on Jacinda Ardern because they suddenly thought she was a flake or a fraud or they found something sort of intensely dislikable about her. Well, they, the, the, the electorate, you know, a third of Labour voters deserted Labour because their cost of living was going up, because things were materially harder for them and they didn't see any assistance from the government. And so that's Hipkins's challenge, you know, in order to maintain all of these positive ratings, you know, in the next seven months. The, after the State of the Nation speech that Luxon gave, he was quite pretty good on the detail, talking about the policy, and maybe 
the <laughs> priority should be less soft serves at McDonald's drive throughs and more releasing policy and talking, speaking about it. Like it doesn't, it doesn't, you know, <laughs> feel like something that is to do with sharing your personality, but maybe it is. Maybe that's in that particular environment that you were talking about, what people want to see. What do you think, Annabelle? There is that poll, you know, paradoxically, Nicola Willis's performance strength is the 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 risk that Luxon might face. Remember when Andrew Little was struggling, albeit the party, the Labour Party at the time, sitting substantially lower in the polls, but everyone started talking about the Ardern deputy moving up through the preferred prime ministers and it was getting closer and closer and then eventually overtook. Now, Nicola Willis is currently on 1%. Yeah, I think, let's, not, <laughs> let's not get carried away here. I, I think but, eight, eight, 8 and 4 is a bit different from 17 and 1. For sure. <laughs> like, you know. for, for, for sure, for sure. But, I mean, is is there any sense in which Luxon's leadership is... Thomas Coughlin had a piece on the day of that State of the Nation reporting kind of murmurings of murmurings. You know, it's, it's completely... Completely, that nobody is suggesting that there is any plot whatsoever. But these things can take hold. Uh, I think the challenge for Luxon is that because he is so new to politics, um, you know, because he has never been a minister, let alone a prime minister before, that, you know, we probably shouldn't underestimate probably some of the personal resentments and stuff that are already in that caucus, seeing this guy who's just been, like, helicoptered in by John Key, being given this prime job. And so, you know, I imagine that while there's, you know, National feel relieved that the revolving door of leadership has, has slowed, that, you know... And that, you know, they had the lift and they started going up. I do feel that if this pattern were to continue, he probably would be um, potentially in danger because um, people have been there a long time, some in that caucus, and they're sick, sick of being on the opposition benches. And They've also been there I don't a long know time if and they'll want to. witnessed some pretty horrendous <laughs> leadership, so they might be feeling... You know, with all that PTSD in the system, they might be feeling quite assured that at least he's not going to... Well, the, the you know, the Ardern experiment sort of opened the door for this, mm. right? The idea yeah. that you just sort of drop in a super sub and, you know, the, the, combi the combination of the honeymoon, fresh leader and their inherent qualities... Yeah propels you yeah. to it's a like likely yeah. victory. Someone holding the slipstream and then, a, you know, a, yeah. what do you call it in, in running? A, a, yeah, and, and, you know, and, look, the, and, the, and the Hipkins transition, you know, that, that sort of bolsters mm. the case for that in a close to an election year. In or, Australia, uh, Scott Morrison. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yep, yeah, yep. I do think that but, what's been different this time as opposed to in the past, is that Nicola Willis is shaping up to be a real formidable deputy leader. And, it, and I mean, who knows, but potentially there might be, like, some backroom conversations that are had where he might be encouraged to allow her to, to come forward and make it look, um, you know, classy and without all the bloodletting and stuff. I don't know, but, you, you know, you if I was him, I would be worried. You can't write off election year insanity uh, just because of what we've seen over the past few elections. Um, but, you know, there's certainly nothing happening right now. There's no <laughs> there's no plotting. There's no, you know, um, you know, this is, you know, if you look at where National was before Luxon took over, you know, this is just a different league in terms of closeness. Yeah. You know, they, they they would be absolutely crazy to do anything right now. So what I do think is his the difficulty though is that like they're gonna need the Maori Party, and everything that he's doing just further alienates National and the Maori Party from each other. And it's interesting because Key was so different in that approach. You know, he was way more kind of pragmatic and. And well, I don't know if he was during the election. I mean, during the election, Key sort of said, "Yeah, we'll we'll buff the Maori seats. That's still our policy." Um, 
you know, I mean, he obviously he was more conciliatory about things like Waitangi, but yeah, I, I just think um, I don't. I mean, the, the bigger barrier there is ACT. Now, I mean, that is an interesting point, though, which is that right now there hasn't been a poll which shows Labour can govern without the Māori Party for about six months, I don't think. Yeah. And we still don't really know what the Māori Party think about anything except, uh, you know, some very niche kind of policies, you know, funding to Matatini at a level comparable to, you know, performing arts organisations, um, dropping any kind of regulation of Rongawa, um, but, you know, very specific particular niche kind of things that they prosecute on social media and which and is perfect for a they have some good for stuff a govern, on their governing negotiations oh, yeah look absolutely you know gives them some quick wins etc but you know it is it is fascinating to see how little we know actually about their position on on most things really yeah. i had a look on their website the other day and they had some interesting stuff on there like um, you know, any debts incurred with wins are forgiven. Um, any grants that you need to get, you know, you won't be indebted to wins, um, universal student allowance, all of those sorts. So they've got, like, it's not super broad, but they've mm. got some kind of key ones that they're focusing on that are quite good. Probably some of them need to be updated a bit, but um, there are some interesting points there. We've got to go quickly. A word on Georgina Bayer, who uh, died last week, the giant of Carterton, uh, MP, Mayor. Annabelle, you, you had Georgina on an episode of Matangaraya. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she was wonderful. Um, yeah, she was a um, lovely wahine. Um, one of the things that surprised me when we made Matangaraya was how mummy she was still with Helen Clark over foreshore and seabed and she talked about how for her personally she it was you know she was in such a tough position because unlike the rest of the Maori caucus who had a Maori mandate to be there via the Maori electorates, you know, she was in a in a general seat and her electorate wanted her to vote for the legislation, but, you know, as a wahine Māori, she was totally against it, so she asked Clark if she could abstain from the vote and she wasn't allowed to, and she said that was the point where she knew her parliamentary career was over and she just completely fell out of favour with with, um, with Clark. Not that she had been particularly close to her, but... She said that she vowed to herself at that point that she would never ever allow herself to be put in that position again. And yeah, she was she was a woman of principle and and a trailblazer and a groundbreaker and all of those things. But um, I had the pleasure of holding her handbag while we shot sequences yeah. outside Parliament, and that's like one of my badges of honour. <laughs> And uh, the woman who kept Paul Henry out of the New Zealand Parliament uh, as well. Um, Yeah, I mean, Georgina Bayer was, you know, when we talk about a House of Representatives and, you know, one of the things that often gets talked about is bringing in people from a wide range of experiences Mm. and backgrounds. And, you know, if you think about uh, civil unions back in 2004, uh, prostitution law reform in 2005, those were those were both bills where Georgina Bayer's presence, you know, were sort of, you know, really striking, managed to change, actually change minds in the House. Um, and, you know, it was, a real, it was a real testament, you know, the sort of sort of things that you can bring to, to a democracy. Mm. Um, yeah, so RIP. Thank you, Ben. Thank you, Annabelle. Thank you, Sam. Uh, we'll catch you next time on another episode of Gone by Lunchtime. This podcast was brought to you by the URL thespinoff.co.nz forward slash members. Kia ora e te iwi, te Ahe Butler here, podcast manager at The Spinoff. If you enjoy listening to our podcasts, consider supporting our mahi by signing up to become a Spinoff member at thespinoff.co.nz slash donate. 
The Spin-Off Podcast Network.